Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best, straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Coming up next is The Fit and the Fab. Folks, welcome back to the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio, with your host, Hurricane H. New day, new show, great topic. Uh, great guest. Again, I always say my guests are all great. So, <laughs> and they're all uh, in, in literally great. And they have super stuff that they present us with. But today, we're going to talk about uh, an angle. And, um, you know, with me, I have uh, an author of a new book. And uh, it's going to be an interesting book to to definitely check out, as well as to talk about today and, and the story that led to this book. And uh, so, someone with me with a lot of experience in life. A lot of different things, and he's going to share a lot with us, and I'm going to deep dive with him into this discussion today. So again, as always, I'm a little bit of a uh, suspenseful in the, in the get-go, but but no more. Here we go. So I have with me Steve Wilson, and he is with us today to talk about uh, his new book, where he pretty much covers a lot of things of, of his life and, and then different things and how we can potentially help people that may be going through some stuff. Him and I, we had just a brief discussion before. And I just was funny. I said, uh, you know, we might help someone out there that may have a similar set. And he said, no, there's plenty of people <laughs> that are going through similar stuff, which I tend to believe and agree. So, Steve, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's my pleasure, man. And, uh, you know, uh, so the first things first, who is Steve? And let's let's go about your, your original piece of it. Like what started? I mean, I know uh, there's some Dif- different things we're going to talk about here the bipolar piece uh you know the, the, all the stuff so let's just go back there and we'll 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 dissect that slowly but surely so go for it steve what was the what was the question so the first thing is just tell us about steve you know well, okay. how, it all, how it all started well uh I, I used to live in delaware ohio uh, my family had a men's and women's clothing store and was doing very well as a kid. Played a lot of sports. Uh, got along with everybody. Felt great. Had a good time just being a kid. And then when I was nine, I went to a movie theater and a guy picked me out and did some horrible things to me sexually. And I was only nine. And then I decided I'll never tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know what happened. Uh, I think it was my fault, but I don't know how. Because for some reason, this guy picked me out out of all the people that were there, all the kids. And so I held it within my safe storage brain for 30 years. I got no treatment. I got no help. I never told anybody. 
And that was when I was nine. And then in fourth grade, the depression hit and it was pretty damn severe. And I previous to that, I'd been an honor roll student and whatever you can do that in grade school. And then all of a sudden I couldn't study. I couldn't sleep. Um, I felt like I was worthless. I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. And that lasted six months. The only way I got out of it was sports and uh, friends. My family never questioned what was wrong with me. They never got involved. They never did anything. And we were a middle-class family and uh, did pretty well. Uh, my father did, but they paid no attention to me. So I just kept going downhill and downhill. And um, I would have, it's peaks and valleys when you have bipolar disorder. One day you may be feeling pretty good. You may be feeling great. And then lo and behold, up comes the bipolar problem and you're, and I was sunk back in the abyss again and it could last for months, 10 days, a week. I never knew how long it would last. Um, when I got to high school and junior high, I had, a couple good years between seventh and eighth grade, and then all of my high school years couldn't sleep, couldn't study, couldn't keep my mind on anything. So to get through high school, there was only one way, and that was to cheat. So I spent all my time figuring out not how to learn anything, but how to get through. Um, then I went to college, and college was better for me because it was away from my family. Mm -hmm. And But I still had plenty of times during the four years of when I was very depressed. But I did not get diagnosed until... 1970 when I graduated from college and I was diagnosed as depression, mm -hmm. deep depression. And I tell you, one of the doctors who diagnosed me actually made the stupid comment that, oh, don't worry about it. You'll be okay in four weeks. Well, it took 40 years, so he made a drastic mistake. During the early 70s, uh, I had a problem with my father that led to an altercation and led me to be hospitalized. I was hospitalized for three weeks, and... It did a little bit of good for me, but not a lot. I continued to get really bad and stay bad all that all those years from about 72 to 77 or 78. 
Mm-hmm. I was pretty bad. But the thing is, I was able to hide it from everybody. Nobody had a clue. And uh, in... 1978, after trying all these medications, and there weren't many, I say all, but there were just a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all made me sick or jacked me up where I was just shaking like crazy, whatever. So one day my psychiatrist came in. Now he diagnosed me in 72 that I had depression. Six years or seven years later, he says, I think I made a mistake. You're bipolar. Now, uh, anybody thinking that uh, the same medications can work for depression as work for bipolar are completely mistaken. They have two separate classes of medication. So the popular medication that has always been since the 70s was lithium. And I took lithium, and my world changed. I was 60% better overnight. I no more, no longer had to think of myself as worthless. Uh, I, had, I had some problems with a runaway mind, and uh, uh, I didn't have any hallucinations or anything like that, but uh, I couldn't quiet my mind most of the time very angry, uh, stuff like that. Um, So in 78, I got a lot better. And they told me the time I took lithium to to have it checked every six months because lithium has a capacity to damage the kidney. And I didn't care because I was feeling so much better, big deal. I'll take the chance. So about the year 2000, which means 25 years later, my kidney started to give out, and I was at 55% function left. So I still put up with it, said, no, I can get through this. But in about 2005, I'd gotten worse. So they took me off the lithium, forced me off the lithium, and put me on another drug, which is called Lamictal, and it was perfect. But I was still having the ruminations where my mind was going crazy. I was nervous in certain instances and stuff, so I wasn't perfect until... Sometime after I got on the Lamictal, I had a, I got a new psychiatrist and talked about the ruminations and that driving me crazy. And he said, well, there's a new medication out. Let's try it. And it's called Paxil. And I took it, and the ruminations, 75% they're gone. So since that time, I've been in pretty good shape. Um, I don't see any therapists anymore and I don't need them. So that's where I am today. Uh, well, that's a lot. I mean, you impact quite a few years in about 10 minutes. So <laughs> I, I didn't want to cut off, you know, because I think there's plenty there to unpack right now. So the first things first is, is going back to, to the early days when 
the tragedy happened and, and i'll call it for that at this point because i am a father i can tell you one thing something like that happens to my kids i don't know what i'll do i mean i'll probably go just bananas on this and then uh, you know i mean i'm i'm on record right now you know no uh, it, it's very difficult to even imagine this and i think that is unbelievable that people's kind of even think and do these things i mean this horrible stuff i mean i i just don't think that you have to have the right mind to do something like that it's i i just don't digest it well and when i when i actually read your story i kind of like really just kind of i got you know just almost shut down with it because it's kind of like something that triggers feelings about it and i think everybody watching and listening right now you probably get the actually the, the the goosebumps just thinking about somebody in your family or you or when you're a child i mean and or somebody that actually experienced this and how that is how that affect them at the time and and, to put, and yeah, go ahead. excuse me put into perspective how many people in this country suffer from just bipolar not a, not including other mental conditions oh yeah yeah well, i'm not even going i'm not even talking about There's bipolar 12 million in this oh. country who suffer from bipolar so so steve hold that thought we're going to talk about the bipolar piece but i wanted to just literally just go to the First of all, the pedophile you know, piece of it, which is serious, and I think we need to be aware of this. I mean, this is like a problem that exists today. It existed. Yes. Uh, to be honest with you, I, you know, you, you brought us back in time a little bit, and this is already happening then, and it didn't stop. It's still here, and I don't think there's enough discussion about it or there's enough. I know there's laws, there's different things, and you can hear about it. There's, I guess uh, even ways of identifying when someone of this nature is even around, but but the idea is this is a, something that still happens worldwide and still in the states. <laughs> I mean, I can I can get it maybe in a third world country where there is less you know, I guess authority or laws and protective stuff. But even here, it happens. We hear about this most of the time, all the time. I mean, on the news and stuff. And those are the cases we know about. Uh, you know, so so I first of all. I, I really admired that the fact that you are coming out and talking about this stuff, you know, maybe now it's, it's a long time beyond, but it's, it doesn't matter when the, the idea is that you put all this stuff also in your book. And that's important because people have to understand this and the impact that it has your, your story. I mean, you started with this and then what, what was worse about it is that you could not speak to, about it to anyone and no one noticed. That's the other part. I mean, so that's the other thing we, we want to talk about is, you had this 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 dilemma, uh, you know. What if you? I don't know. I mean, it's been a minute. But but my question to you at that time: Why didn't you tell anybody? I mean, is there? You know, where was it fear? Because because I think that's important to our audiences. To if something like this happens, you know, it shouldn't be hidden. It should be. I mean, I know also historically, things were different. You could not say certain things. You know. So so what was the main reason, at least at that time, that you remember? Well. I felt a couple things. Mm. I felt it was the worst thing in the world anybody could do, and I didn't want to talk about it mm -hmm. because it happened to me and people would look down on me for the rest of my life. Mm. And I was just blaming it on myself. Did I look some way or walk some way or to this guy, I was pretty or whatever it was. He picked me. Why didn't he pick the guy behind me? And I, so I blamed it all on myself. And when I say I shut it down, I never thought about it. It was never on my mind. You buried it. I buried it deep. Hmm. And it 
really didn't start to resurface until maybe 80 or 85, somewhere around in there. So 20 or wow. 30 years later. But but how do you hide such a thing? I mean, I know you buried it, but your behavior has to have changed. I mean, I, I you 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 obviously got through tough times, but no one noticed. I mean, that's the part that's that's almost uh, either you were good at hiding it. I mean, in a way that it was so completely out, out, you know, nowhere to be found, or people are just not. I mean, you have to be able to 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 at least feel something when somebody's going through something. It doesn't matter who you are, what's going through your life. We can see that the energy goes there. There's a point where you have to you almost let people know without, you know, it's like almost implied. You know what I mean? Well, there's a, there's, I do a lot of uh, facilitating on mental health okay. groups. Mm -hmm. And one of the prevalent things that comes up is that we use the word fake it. Mm. We fake it, all of us. So nobody knows what we're going through. Now, the one the, the times that I think people wondered what was wrong with me, I was a very funny guy in school and got along with everybody. But there were times when I was in such deep depression that I didn't act myself and people could tell. They never said anything. Now, in 19, let's see, they wouldn't know enforcement. So let's say in 1960. Um, people back then said, hell, he's, he's all right. Time to go take a walk and uh, start eating better. That'll make you feel better. Uh, they didn't really believe in mental health. Well, it's taboo. It was, it was even to them. I mean, people, some people still don't want to face Not their just Some people today, a, a lot, almost <laughs> as bad. Yeah. But, but you're right. Then it was like, almost like that is, ah, oh, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's super, super tough. That's a topic you don't talk. I mean, like, that means you're crazy. You're out there. Uh, it, it, it's tough. Okay. Go ahead. No, no, I was saying it, that that has to be tough then. I mean, it is today. Uh, just, just as an FYI, I mean, we have actually a show that we do on every last Friday of the month and where we have an actual life psychiatrist to talk about it. One of the reasons we do this is, to get people to come on and, and just send their questions in because they most people would not come on literally with their personality and and mm -hmm. say that claimed who they were but but at least we get anonymous you know questions and we we talk about them and address them but you're right the the stigma that comes with it and probably in, a, in a more conservative days and talking about 60s and 70s that i think that was very shameful that that even you can at our family, forget about it. If the family knows that, oh my God, my kid or someone in the family has, you know, a need for psychiatry and mental health, you know, that's not that's not even acceptable at the time. And I think that that contributed to the problem. Yeah. So even when I told my psychiatrist thirty years after the fact that I had been sexually assaulted. He wouldn't talk about it. So here we are 30 years later and the same stuff is still going on. And you take us another 30 years and I can tell you the same stuff is going on. Now, there's no question that mental health is stigmatized 
all over the world. And those who are affected uh, are looked down on as lazy, stupid, whatever. And the biggest thing that anybody going through what I know best, bipolar disorder, is support. I had no support until my my psychiatrist and my uh, psychologist and my wife, when I finally got married in 72, she's been with me. We've been married for 50 years. She was my biggest supporter. Um, I don't know where I was going with this. No, no. Uh, Well, well, hold that thought. You'll get back to it. So first things first, you you mentioned uh, the stigma and the label that was then, and uh, that that pushed you not to speak up. And even later on, like to your point, people 30 years later, that's still not something that people want to talk about. I think that's, let's take a moment about that as well, because uh, from this platform and and today, I mean, we're 2023, uh, you know, you said it best, it's still, it is still happening. People still are not coming out and discussing these things. And people are always afraid to to face it. That's the the other part. I mean, it's like facing anything is scary. And when you're going through a tremendous, this is like a trauma. I mean, it's just psychiatry, psychiatry. I mean, psyche. You know, big one trauma, right? Level one. It is not an easy thing to go. I mean, we're talking about it here. I talk about it. it's one thing to talk about, it, but you've gone through it. And I think one thing you mentioned, you're you were blaming yourself. Like, why me? Why not the other? person um and and that in its own it is is devastating the fact that you actually have to question why it happened to you um it is it is it is scary because people have to think about that like this can happen to anyone (laughs) and Mm -hmm. anyone's family members you know this could be your neighbor somebody you know we hear about these things all the time in the news and it's like it's always happening to the other guys but it can happen to anyone and but but only the people that go through them and their immediate families, at least if they're participating or they're like active in that particular, you know, assistance. In in, the, in your case, that wasn't the case. But if if you're going through this, it is going to be a tough moment. And you're right. You unfortunately, the time frame was was completely off because at that time there was no real help. Psychiatry was not a biggest thing, you know, that people seek. I mean, you basically are going to the loony bin. I mean, that's really how people seen it, you know, in history, right? At least. I mean, let's call it for what it is, right? Uh, I mean, more recent decades, you know, there's more awareness and there's more participation. There's more programs. And you said group support and things like this. And that wasn't available then. And again, it was also, there's the religious aspect of it. People are conservative. That's like, oh my God, we can't talk about it. You know, it's like a lot of things. I mean, sex in general was very taboo. Uh, and then you you talk about more extreme events and tragedies and abduction, uh, sexual harassment, and all these things that are, that are more relevant and protected today to a degree were not you had to go through all that and buried it down and i i mean in a way you that that was strength at least i can see it but at the same time it was impactful and my question to you is that was that the cause for your bipolar uh, diagnosis uh, or i mean i'm sure there's a, re- a relevant relationship between one and the other it happened yeah. because of that okay uh, that's that's an easy answer uh, and I'll tell you how I f- was led to believe that the incident was at least one cause of the bipolar. Mm-hmm. I had some things 
in my past life that I had never fully dealt with, uh, one woman in particular. And it was bothering me just a few years ago that I wanted to get over it. And so I sought out a trauma therapist. One of the questions I did have at that time, three or four years ago, was did the sexual assault cause the bipolar? Mm -hmm. And after spending several months with this trauma therapist, it became clear to me that it did have something to do with it, but I was probably predisposed to hit me. Like somebody else could get sexually uh, assaulted and get through just fine. But on the other hand, I'll tell you in the groups that I deal with, and I've seen more than a thousand people in the last seven years, there is a very, very high percentage of them who have been sexually assaulted, physically assaulted, and uh, mentally assaulted, and most of them have never gotten over it. So the amount of abuse there is in this country and around the world is really ruining lives. And it doesn't always start at nine years old. It might not start till the guy is 20 mm-hmm. or the girl. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was was bad about being sexually assaulted in the 50s was there was this reasoning that only women could be sexually assaulted. So if I told somebody that I was sexually assaulted, even at nine years old, they'd just go, no, you won't. Really? I was just playing with you. And um, as far as whether I really got over all of the questions I had when I went to this trauma therapist, the answer is yes. I took it to the next level, even though the last time I had therapy was probably... 2005, 2008, uh, this trauma therapy put the whole box together and closed it off. Well, so Steve, so again, we go, we're still back in, in the day and, and beyond just the event itself. And uh, you went to school. You said that it was a little tough and yeah. high school was probably the worst, you know, of them all because that's, and I know high school can't, it can be brutal. I have two high schoolers in the house, so I know what they go through today. I, I'm pretty sure it's a little different then, but it's not that different. You know, bullying is still there, crazy is still there, and nonsense is always going to be there. And it's unfortunate why that's even existing in our school systems, but that's another discussion, another topic. But the that that those days, that impact was with you, and you were dealing with it, and you were trying to face it. And you said something that's probably interesting to hear, but it's probably what people today probably are doing right now to face their own traumas. You said, I could not learn. I didn't want to learn. I found ways to cheat the system and just go by. And and again, that's brave for you to actually say it because not everybody wants to admit what they did, you know, even if it's wrong, but you're saying it, but 
not to be blamed because to be honest with you anybody watching or listening like how would you deal with it you don't no no one can actually think about what this means unless they went through it and you again you just said something more powerful the fact that even if you said you had this 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 instance or this event or this accident or this this assault no one's gonna listen to you to you like you're the boy like it doesn't happen to you right it won't happen to you like you know get out of here and and they'll take they're not gonna take it serious and and so you you almost kind of like reacted to it because you knew nobody's gonna listen and then you kept it within until years later but the impact of it was not later it was in, immediate it was there it carried with you now you said you were predisposed to bipolar you know disorder which that also can could have added to it uh and so your life was not in a good place it, it's a, it has to be difficult it had to be difficult for you to go through this these stages and right now we're talking about it I, I'm, I'm not gonna ask how old you are but but you know you've been around you you've given us a few timelines from the, the 60s to now that that shows a pretty decent amount of life and those are a lot of years where you have to deal with this now now and i i admire what you do you you're helping other people now you're doing this in groups to help and assist other folks which by the way i've seen this a lot uh, a lot of people that have gone through trauma usually give back and they're always willing to help because they don't want other people to actually go through some of the stuff that they had experienced in their lives and and that's again admirable i mean they, you know that's something that is unique and i see more of it i mean i've had a few shows already where we had similar situations about trauma and people are really giving back into the community and doing services that can be beneficial uh, so so one thing i want to ask you know, steve is that you mentioned something about your wife of 50 years and were you, did you tell her immediately about this you know what was going on i mean that's a big question like you know because like here you meet someone that you are in love with or whatever you know and attracted to and now mm -hmm. we we're, you're venturing into this this holy matrimony for life and how do you break that down to someone and whether that person is going to accept it or not that's a dangerous you know transition how did that go well we got married in 1972. okay i told her i was assaulted in 2015. 40 years later she had oh. no clue man you're good you you covered this well to everybody 40 years with your wife that's next to you every day that is i mean i would say impressive but well but it's she not the knew real something was wrong with me uh -huh. i mean she didn't know what but by god she could see it as i went through every day i uh i must have gone through well, uh, my family store is where I ended up working until 95. So that was 20 years. But the first 10 or so years after I graduated from college, I couldn't keep a job. I would stay with a job for six, eight months, get all bent out of shape, get all frustrated. I'd quit. Mm. I didn't give, if a boss at work said something uh, to show me that I did something wrong, I'd get mad. I couldn't control myself. So everywhere I went, I'd go from job to job to job and because I couldn't control it. So, so Steve, was that anger? Is that a feeling that you were getting? At well, it was point? anger, but more than that, it was um, 
the fact that I felt I was worthless, couldn't go on. Only for a brief period of time did I think about killing myself. And that was in 1971 to 73 or something like that. Um, but that never occurred again after that. That was when I was at my worst. But I still felt like nobody loved me. Maybe my wife did. Maybe she didn't. I didn't know. But I would just stand around at work and look out the door. I could I could sell stuff. I was pretty good at that. But when I there was so much downtime in retail business that probably 70% of my time was spent trying to figure out something to do. The worst place you can be is boredom when you're bipolar. Well, see, so, we want to we want to dive into the bipolar piece of it, but so, but what what I'm hearing, couple of almost aftermath after effects and reactions. One is some level of anger. Definitely, the trust was was lost from from everybody, and then anything that is anybody around you, the trust factor was like almost a a reaction to the world. No more, and and I think that's actually probably stemming from the same the the the, the incident itself, and then it just was part of your. I guess coping mechanics, you know, mechanisms. You know, it was just like basically that's your system. Like you just push everybody out. But you said you were diagnosed with depression first, which was a mistake. Um, so why was was it not clearly? I mean, six years it took a doctor to figure out, you know, the the fact that you had bipolar versus versus depression because probably the displayed, I guess, uh, symptoms were more in that realm of depression. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist or a therapist. I can't, I can't talk about it. But your experience, what was the differentiator at that point? Well, I would say that most of the time when you were acting like I did, they would diagnose you with depression. Bipolar didn't really come to be a thing until the early 70s, late 80s. So there was not a lot of speculation about how many people had it or anything they just thought it was there so and i will say that in my groups many many people have said they have gone through numerous diagnoses it is with medication and with diagnosing the person it is a crapshoot in psychology and psychiatry um it's not a cut and dry disease. It is, well, I put it this way. I was really helped by lithium. Several people in my group tried lithium and they got a rash and that meant you couldn't take it or they got real fat or a lot of reasons. So the psychiatrists have to go, we got this many drugs how do we know which one is going to help this guy? So they just go down the table. We just start bringing them out. And so it's a really, really tough process. And diagnosing is not easy. Uh, I'm, I've always been mad that it took him six years because those were my worst six years. Uh, but I guess I can't blame the guy. Well, it's still going on today in a big way. Well, well. So I, I just want to take a moment on that. I mean, listen, you said it. I mean, there are 
different symptoms and you got to go through almost like a, a testing phase to see like what's what's really what right? right and you know i mean psychiatrists and psychology doctors i mean in general they are they they use different techniques obviously to to identify right and assess your symptoms and what that particular cause is but to, to your point i mean it's very difficult there's a lot of spectrum different people display different ways and and express it differently and i think that's the other thing some doctors also prescribe different medications from others and you know because they think that that works you know uh, more effectively uh, in in a way it worked for you i mean now when you say lithium i mean i'm thinking batteries <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> you know i mean are we talking about uh, you know similar you know, stuff i'm not i'm hoping that's not the case I think uh, i'm not sure exactly but 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 obviously it worked but 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 like everything else i mean with meds there's always a cushion right you know that it might have an after effect or side effect and in this case, it was a kidney problem that eventually will develop. Now, 20 plus years taking this medicine, which got you to a good point. But, and, and you know, it's amazing that you said it, that it felt good. I didn't care. And, and that's, that's the other part. Like some people, you, you, that's exactly the extreme where you go, whereby you have to accept that you're damaging yourself in a way, but it, I, you'd rather get that damage because you have a better shot at it and maybe you can save it eventually or do something about it. But at least you are in a good place mentally, right? And so, so it's like you're almost giving up one thing to 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 for another, and that's that's exactly. a big sacrifice you have to do. And sometimes we all fall into that category when you have a problem, medicinal, you know, uh, like a some sort of diagnosis, right? You know, people always say, "Well, there is this, the surgery, there is the medicine, there is this, that," but this is what it could do. And most people will probably say, oh, "I'll just do it," you know, and deal with the chances that I have later. And that is also like a tough place to be. And so it's not an easy thing. And eventually you were able to kind of get into a different medicine that worked better. And, and certainly I'm, I'm assuming your kidney got to its proper function and and, and so far let's so good. Say, let's say no. Oh, okay. But that's for another time. <laughs> All right. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not, I'm not going to dive into that one, but, but so, 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 couple of things we were talking about your wife 40 years you know not clear and when you told her about this what was her real how was her reaction i mean i i can tell you i mean it is not easy to 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 well, digest I think, it, I think it helped clear up a lot of what she'd seen me go through mm. without having any idea what caused it um she took it in very well. We discussed it, and she never made a big deal out of it, mm -hmm. which was good for me because I didn't want somebody to think what a horrible thing I had gone through and cloud up other things. So she yeah. took it very well. Listen, God bless her, and that's yeah. actually that, that's actually what true marriage is about, and and the support that should be doesn't matter who's you know which side of of the coin it is husband wife whatever the idea is that you are able to get that support and that's the other thing in a good bad you know everything that's that's the that's the commitment and so so i'm glad that worked out that way and actually I, i'm assuming you're still together <laughs> 50 years we just were 50th anniversary was in august well, congratulations and many Thank more, you. dude. <laughs> so, so, so now let's talk about the bipolar because I think we—it's a common terminology we hear all the time, 
Uh, most people would associate it to, you know, moody, mood swings, different personality. Sometimes we can even probably, you know, think that it's multiple personality disorder. At least that's where we pe- people think about. It. Is that really what it is? And again, I'm not, no. I don't know the diagnosis exactly and what it the term- is mania and depression. Now, there's actually three types of bipolar, but there's two predominant ones. Mm-hmm. Bipolar one means that you have low depression sometimes, not deep depression. But when you're in mania, you go crazy. You spend all your money, you gamble, you drive cars fast, uh, and then you turn around when the mania is over six months later and you've lost everything. Wow. That's me. That's bipolar one. I am bipolar two, which means I don't have the highs. I have what's known as, uh, geez, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's a middle high. Goes only, it's not bad. Feels good, but you don't go crazy. But the thing I do have is a tremendous depression. I mean, just you think you're at the bottom of the well and never getting out. And so those are the the two types. Um, The type in the middle, then, on the mania side, you're not, when you come down, you go into a deep depression, but not as deep as when you're bipolar 2. So it has nothing to do with multiple personalities. Now, again, I, I, I just put that in context because yeah. I think a lot of people would probably are not sure what that definition is. And I, I will definitely actually ask that question to our psychiatry doctor, you know, on, on, on uh, the end of this month. So at least we get that clarified also from a, an actual yeah. professional yeah. diagnosis, but, but, but definitely. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. And, but, but that is very interesting. I mean, you're talking about going crazy and going literally like, don't care. I mean, it sounded like, you know, didn't matter to you anything. You just go out it, you know, go out of it, you know, just do whatever. And until you realize a moment, like what the hell just happened? And that, that you said it, that could take weeks, months, even years. Yes. That, that is, uh, you know, and if you're not in check, how, how there's no way of you stopping until I guess that episode goes away. Right now are the triggers that stops it. Well, the triggers mostly go in the wrong direction. They make you worse. Okay. Uh, so I don't really know of anything that if you saw a bowling ball rolling across a yard, that it would make you feel better and not make you so high. So I don't have anybody, any idea of anybody ever telling me that. But what I do know is it seems when the mania is over, it just stops and you go down. And as as you said, it can be a week, two weeks, six months. And then when you crash down, it's on the same kind of timetable. It isn't on the same as you're up, the same as you're down. It's going like this. So you could be manic for six months and down for or when you're down is in in the depression stage, you're pretty pretty close to being all right. But that may only last a week. You've had six months bad. 
you only and you only get one week good. So there's no rhyme or reason. Uh, we have some people who have seasonal depression, and like we had a guy in our group who had to come to Arizona from New Hampshire um, this fall because when it got bad weather in New Hampshire, he would go into a deep depression. And being in the sunshine and the warmer weather out here would keep him from doing that. Mm. So, Steve, a question comes to mind about this whole thing from the beginning of time. Uh, what was, did you blame anyone for what happened originally? Do you still blame anyone or, or society or, or the sexual or the, assault? Yeah. Well, that and then ultimately things that could have led to the bipolar piece. I don't even have a clue what the guy looked like who sexually assaulted me. I don't see a face. I don't see anything. I have no idea. Um, so I have no one to blame. Just I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. As far as the bipolar, I probably blame most my parents and my father in particular because they were never around. Now, never around doesn't mean they were in Europe all the time or whatever. It just means they were there, but they weren't there for me. They were busy working, and you were just there. I tell you what, make it simple. Um, I was a fairly good basketball player, and never once did they come see me play. Uh, they just didn't. Understood. weren't interested. Were you? Uh, did you have siblings? Yeah, uh, uh, not a daughter. A brother who's five years younger than me. And my sister is two years older. Were they ex experiencing the same or they had a different relationship? Funny to tell you this, but uh, neither one of them liked my father. Now, he never hit us or anything like that. He was just not there. Hmm. Um, no, the reason I'm asking, Steve, is just that, I mean, I'm, sometimes you have these, these selective parents where they prefer one child versus the other whatever the case may be or blame one child for not being the good child and you know and uh listen i have three kids and it's very tough to maintain the balance between them so i have i have a formula i have my oldest i have my only daughter and i have my youngest so they all have a, a good spot you know i try to balance that but you know i tend to believe that i i'm a good parent to them but again that's not up to me it's up to them to judge but but you are definitely have you know the feelings that you have today but that the relationship with the, the your your siblings with the parents will also determine if this is really you know them the parents you know fault and in this case it looks like it was that your father was just not there for anyone and therefore you were just in the middle of it and i was not close to either my sister or brother at all we just passed in the night we were friendly and did whatever we did but it wasn't a a, a big time relationship until my brother, he's 70 now, I'm 74, till about 10 years ago, 
then we became pretty close. That's nice to but hear. That's still 40 years. And when I was in the hospital in 1971 or 72 for three weeks, my parents and sister only came down once. Three weeks only once. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to say this for our audiences. I mean, uh, what you're hearing today, this is this is like uh, stuff that, you know, you might think about it in the movies, you see it, but it is real. This is a person's life that had to do this. And as you said earlier, Steve, that there are probably thousands, if not millions of people that probably have the same experiences. They just, nobody knows about them. They haven't been able to come out and talk about it. Or they just haven't had a chance to 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 really hash it out. Maybe they're still in that phase where it's buried down and they're just faking it and just kind of like moving on with their lives, trying to cope with it. But then it's still there. And eventually it will come up one way or the other. And the sad part is that it gets you to these different moments. And you mentioned something about potential suicide at a time of your life, which again, another thing we have to be aware of that, I mean, suicide prevention is big and, uh, uh, people these days, they commit suicide for a lot of re- different reasons. And definitely it is, it is a, a problem. It's rising even in the younger folks. I mean, teenage suicide is high and, uh, it, it's, and, and there are reasons for that. I mean, I, I, it's, I have to say, I, I think I mentioned it a couple of times, but, uh, my best, uh, my, my, my sons, my younger son's friend, they were close, they were neighbors. And, you know, only a few months ago, he decided to take his life. And these are like 16 year olds. And it was devastating in the school and devastating for the kids to, to even know someone that is that close, what happened. And no one knows what happened. But but these are the things that are hidden. Like like in your case, it's hidden. Nobody knows until somebody decides like, oh, I'm done. You know, and it is too late. There's nothing you can do. So so it is important to speak, you know, and, and I'll, I want to ask you a, a very deep question right now is that what what would you tell people today since we are the show and we're going to go into the book but what would you tell right now to people uh, that are listening all ages parents young folks it doesn't matter um what are some of the advices would you give to them based well, on your experience the biggest thing that could have helped prevent a lot of my trauma was if my parents maybe just oblivious but if they had really tried to help me out early on. Now, when I say early on, uh, I'm not talking about fourth and fifth grade because it didn't hit me that badly until later. Mm -hmm. And when my grades went from A's to C's and D's and F's, they should have said something. I mean, it was clear as the bell something was wrong. And they never said anything. When I started staying in bed all the time, they never said anything. So I think the biggest thing I would say is that pay attention to your kids. Snoop. Don't let them get caught up in this bullying stuff that comes on the Internet and the web. Make sure you know what's going on because it's now life and death yes. uh, for some of these kids, a lot of kids. And um, people just don't pay enough attention. You know, they pay enough attention. When it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And yeah, that's powerful. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Steve. 
Well, I think that, uh, and the other thing is, uh, people have to quit this stigma stuff around mental health. They've got to realize it's real. It is 20% of the American people year in, year out, and the same percentage around the world. And people around here lack like, mm, it's no big deal. So, Steve, that's 2 billion people around the world. Yeah. That, and that's just what we know. <laughs> yeah, it is not a small change. I mean, and, and you're right. Um, the stigma is there, but there is enough. I mean, there's not enough, but there is a movement towards it. And it's there's more appeal to it now. Uh, and and well, again, shows like this, I mean, there are programs out there that do these things and discussions and there's more uh, groups. Uh, social media does help a little bit because there's groups that you can you know connect with and things like that. There's some folks out there. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I think for all the good things that are going on, the technology has gotten so good with these kids that that's one of the reasons mothers and fathers and friends don't have a clue of what some other person is going through because they're doing it all online. That is a true fact too. I, and I <laughs> thank you for bringing that because there is a, it's like a double-edged sword, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. it, it's, that's the down effect of this, you know, the downside of, of, of the technology that we have today. Cause you're right. Like we're social, but not social. We're social with, with the, the foreigners or the, the further ones and not close to our you know real family. I mean, you'll see people sitting on the same table chatting with people outside of the table, but, but not talking to the people that are on the table for dinner or lunch. Right. And I, we see those memes all the, the, the time to try to reeducate people to just wake up and maybe have a little bit of a, old school family time and again i mean i'm talking about general term of you know a good and by the way your advice is about that is to be uh you know family oriented like like traditionally meant to be where we are sitting together we are concerned about each other we are participating with each other being part of you know our children's lives and vice versa being part of our parents life and you know now it's more to divide because to your point uh, kids don't even want to spend time with you it is tough. Like, you know, I, it's hard to get my kids to actually get, you know, to get, I'm like, sit down, everybody, we're going to have lunch together yeah. now. And, you know, good luck. We're getting them in one, one time in one place. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, let's go together, you know, outside. Uh, why well, I, I have this, I have that. It's, and teenagers are even harder now. I mean, maybe as a young age, it's a little easier, but they get to that age. It's very difficult to control more, more than ever. I mean, I think when I grew up, it was different. I mean, in the seventies, my parents say, Hey, we have everybody had the same time to eat. We all went into the table and ate. That's it. Lunch, breakfast, dinner. Now my, my, my wife's always complaining. Kids like, you know, she cleans the kitchen and then the <laughs> kitchen opens again like three times a night. Like you wake up in the morning, you have a mess. Like what happened? You know, we got we got little mice <laughs> coming out to eat. But that's the <laughs> thing. Like they just show up anytime and they just do what they gotta do. It's a little different. So the dynamics have changed over the decades. But the core of things, I think, is still the essence of things. It's still there, and we need to go back to some basics. So I appreciate your advice to our, our audiences here because sometimes hearing about it is an important piece because we tend not to – if it's not happening out of sight of the mind, as we say, out of hearing is out of mind, now we hear it. Maybe we can get some people at least to trigger that, oh, maybe I am you know, guilty. Maybe I'm not doing my part. And hopefully maybe someone can look at their kids. Maybe I see that behavior. Let me check and see what's going on. That can be the beginning of a change uh, and maybe even 
uh, you know, a solution and 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 maybe a, a I guess a a cure for someone at this point, right? So so that's that. Steve, you wanted to add something, so please go for it. And then yes. One of the problems with our, well, there's a lot of problems with our uh, mental health system. And pretty much that's towards people who are low income. Uh, they are black or Hispanic uh, in that, just, just to tell you, I've seen over a thousand people in my groups. I've had five blacks in seven years. They are shut out because they don't have enough money. Uh, insurance isn't helping. And if they go to, we, we here in Arizona have a program called Access. Mm. And it's basically uh, getting help from the state for medication, therapy, and all that stuff that these people need. Problem is, it's so overwhelmed that you might go in, you might be in terrible shape, and you go in and they get you a therapy session right away, and you get some help, and then they say, well, we can see you again in three months. Mm. What the hell is going to happen in three months? You never know. I may be dead by the time I get my next appointment. So... A lot has got to be done to help people. Um, and on the other hand, a lot of people don't even look for help for whatever reason. They don't believe in medication or they're so tough they can handle it on their own or they don't want anybody to know. Whatever the reasons are, thousands of people aren't even attempting to get help. And on the other side of the coin, the number of psychiatrists in the United States is dwindling yearly. They can't make enough money for a lot of them. And pretty soon, if things don't change, we're going to be in a real crisis, even worse than it is for a lot of people. Well, so Steve, a couple of things on that. Uh, one is that you mentioned Arizona as as, as a state and an example of some services available. I think there there is definitely a need to to promote more of these programs that are out there because not everybody knows about them. Uh, I mean, I I live in Jersey, I work in New York, and uh, you know, between the two states, there are very much a lot of programs out there. But you're right, the system is you know um, just not enough. It's there's right. not enough delivery. And availability to your point, someone can wait months before they get. And I mean, uh, companies. You mentioned something about insurance. Uh, you know, I am in the insurance space, and uh, there's a lot of work that be, that's done through the insurance. You know, providers. It depends what insurance depends what is the government programs or not. But at the end of the day, there is some work. You know, that's done. But it, to your point, is it enough? It's never going to be enough. Population is you know rapidly increasing. There's a lot of stuff. There's meta. Uh, there's a opioid crisis going on. There's there's many many things going on, right? And um, you know. The pandemic was a big, big problem, right? I mean, a lot of mental health came out of the pandemic. Uh, I mean, just think people were locked down for months and that's usually locked down is for prisoners or, you know, for inmates. And so, so it's, it's a difficult thing. So imagine, you know, free birds are in a cage and that's what humans were for a long time. So there's a lot of that impact that happened. And 
now it's more than ever, uh, you know, happening. And you can see, I mean, there's a lot of talk about it and we see it in the events. There's crime, there's this, there's that. So it's happening. But but you're right. There is. I hope that people are more aware that there's a need for this. There should be, there's more groups, there's more talks, there's more accessibility. And you said something about uh, the lack of, or the, the decline of the number of psychiatrists and, you know, uh, I guess, specialists in this area in the states now one thing i would say it's a it's, a, it's some so, some sort of a uh, hail mary if you want to call it you know is that with with like a zoom like this i mean again remember i, I told you about the show i do every last friday of the, uh, the month my site that my, the, the the doctor that comes on is from australia you know and so so now we have the ability to to tap into you know resources worldwide through through these mediums and so that's that's maybe something new that we didn't have before and people need to be just more aware that it's existing and happening i mean um the the fact that we do live questions where people can actually get answers can help too you know when someone is not sure you just ask the question you said it people are not coming out they're not talking they're not asking they're not claiming uh, right. There are ways, but again, we'd like to bring those ways to people so people understand that it's available to them. Uh, there is a stigma too. No one wants to say, hey, I have a problem. I mean, think about it. The, most of these groups are, are you know, enclosed, they're private, people are not really anonymous for sometimes, you know, and so it's difficult to really just encourage people, hey, you got to, you know, you think if you think you have a problem, go go see someone, talk about it. And that's actually encouraged, but again, we are who we are. We're humans, and we always feel like what people think about us. I think that we, everybody's living in that world. Like you know, I am concerned about the opinion of others, and and that impacts me. It, and this right. is about business, about life, about personal choices, everything. Everybody's worried about what other people are going to think about me, and so we are limiting ourselves and kind of almost cocooning ourselves, and and just becoming like an ostrich. I call it the ostrich effect. Put your head down. And the world is just going to walk right by you. It doesn't work. You're still going to get the impact. And so that's that's a challenge we have today. And I just hope that certainly through your work and 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 now let's talk about your work, your book, uh, Teetering. And, and if you forgive me. Oh, Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey. And when I decided to write the book, I looked at, into other bipolar books. And there's a lot of really good ones. But I couldn't find one that went through a person's life from beginning to end in chronological order. I could see a lot of them explaining things that happened, but not really in a format that you can put down like a novel and read it and it all goes together. So that's what I did. I started with being a good kid, perfect kid, and eight years old, and went straight through everything else. Um, the event when I was nine does not take frontals, uh the main stage in this book. It is about... Well, let's just say it's about everything that occurred in my life that was affected more by the bipolar than the sexual assault. Because up until just recently, I didn't know for sure that they were connected. Mm -hmm. No, well, again, uh, first of all, I I love what you said, that there are great books out there and you, you, you've 
seen quite a few of them, but you discovered that there was something that was missing, and you—that's—I that, love that you did something about it. You—you <laughs> you put one out that has a little bit of a complementary information that can help people in different light. That's great. One of the things that the book talks about is bipolar is not curable. Hmm. Only less than 50% of bipolar victims respond to medication. But that doesn't mean you can't have a good life because there's so many tools out there that you can use. And if you take my story about, you know, you think 30 or 40 years of having bipolar is a long time to be down all the time. I wasn't down all the time. It came in spurts. And that's usually the way it is with everybody. But what I wanted to really tell in the book was that there's hope that you can lead a normal life if you are willing to do some of the things that are necessary to get you there. Well, Steve, you, Steve, you are giving hope. I mean, technically you are hope. I mean, we are talking to you today after right. a long journey and, and you know what? I mean, again, God bless you, man, for, I mean, it's not easy what you've gone through and uh, I, I'm sure you're still dealing with it and, but you have managed it to a degree where you can, it's a little bit under control. And now, not only that, you took the the steps to share some of those values with other people so they necessarily can have maybe a better outcome. You know, uh, the book has been out for about a week or two weeks now. And a lot of my friends have bought it who knew nothing about it. And the feedback I've gotten is great book inspiring and i have somebody in my life who's gone through the same thing and i'm going to send them this book or tell them where to buy it and they can get some hope from it and that's what i wanted so i hope it works out the book is available online at amazon and barnes and noble um I was going to ask, <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> but, 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 I had to get it in there. No, listen, it, it, listen, this is about you and about your uh, journey, your work, and and the message and the value that you bring in to people. And you just said it. I mean, the feedback is that people are feeling there's a need for this and they can share with people who they feel might be benefit, benefiting from the book. And that's all there is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really what it is. I mean, you can probably assist people and guide them uh, in a way that they've never seen it before. Maybe someone yeah. get encouraged today to maybe seek the help that they didn't seek before and maybe even change the course. You, you said it's not curable, but it's manageable if you do yes, the right thing. Exactly so, right. so at this point, the fact at least that if they, they see it, they hear the story. I mean, right now and with us in the show, they're going to see it, they're going to hear it, but they can also read about it either way. They'll get that message of hope and that message of really like, I can do this. Life can be better. You know, let's not lose, you know, the, 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 I guess the hope is the, the real word that comes up here about life and that I can do better for me and for my family. Again, some people may have families, have children, and maybe they're going through the same thing. How does that impact, you know, those folks? Maybe this can change their lives for better. 
I don't think there's going to be an, a negative outcome because at the end of the day, you're giving them some resources and tools to actually apply, hopefully. And they are demonstrated with you. These are things that you've gone through and you are here talking about it and writing about it. So, you know, you sometimes it's best to ask someone who actually has the experience in anything that, that actually gives you the shortcut. You don't have to figure it out. People have gone through a lot of things, you know, get it from them. It's a lot easier. And then they'll give you the right, the good, the bad, the ugly. And now it's up to you to make those decisions, but at least it helps. So thank you for that. All right. Well, so Steve, we're coming to the end of the show. Um, What are, I guess, some closing remarks for this particular, you know, show here and maybe just one final advice to our audiences. Well, I, I would just say that the, the biggest thing I think about with what goes on with bipolar is that it makes your life manageable and just like you said, not curable. You're not going to walk around out of this stuff feeling like you did when you were 15. Uh, but it's very manageable. I've had, even though it's been, I don't know how many years, 60 since I've had it. Yeah, 60. Uh, I've had a lot of good years. Uh I've had three kids. I got two grandchildren. Wow. Uh, a great wife, a lot of friends. So you can still make a life uh, out of it and not think it's devastating, but you got to work at it. I I do have one question, Steve, and 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 this probably just on a tangent here, but um religion. Some people are pretty religious. Uh is there an impact or correlation between the two? Can it also benefit? And I'm not sure how religious you are or not, but is there a benefit to it to people? Sometimes people believe, sometimes don't. Um, what's your opinion about that? Just just curious. Well, I, I will leave it with just what happened to me with religion. I was a Christian. You notice I said was. Mm. Uh Believed in God, believed in Jesus, believed in all the stuff that goes with it. But when I got bipolar so bad in the early 70s, the only thing I could do was go to God. And at that time, I was on the road as a selling suits to stores. So every night was in a different hotel. And... I would get in the hotel, and they always had Bibles there. I don't know if they do anymore. They still do. (laughs) They they had Bibles in there, and every night for weeks, I had this. got a Bible, and I would read the 23rd Psalm, and I would beg God to come and fix me. And after doing this for so long— along with looking at the state of the world as it always is about how there's so many killings and robberies and everything. It's so bleak. I just one night said, I'm done. I don't believe that there's anybody out there. And I became an atheist at that time. And I've stayed that way. Um, And I won't change. I've seen just like everybody else, but they turn, they, they turn a blind eye to it. So many killings, so many bad, bad things. I got earthquake in uh, Syria, killed 17,000 people. Where's God? That's what made me come to that conclusion, and I've never changed it. 
Now, you ask about what it can do for someone who believes. Well, I've had several people in my groups say that faith is the only way to get through it and that you must love your God and uh, he'll, he'll make it all better. That's their belief. Maybe 20 to 30 percent believe it that way. That's their choice. If it helps, great. So that's all I can say on that. Well, listen, thank you for sharing your opinion. Uh, and again, um, I know great. it isn't your opinion. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> it's not. It's not. I do. I do believe in God. And uh, well, again, I I have a different, I guess, uh, believe. Uh, well, it's just I'm Muslim by by religion, but you know, so we have Muslim. Yes, sir. We have slight differences in 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 the approach to to religion, and um, I do believe again, faith. You said the key word, faith, and so it, it comes with patience and believe the unknown. So it's a little different angle uh, onto it, and uh, we believe that it's all trials and tribulations, and it's part of the test. So that's kind of like where we stand in terms of that opinion. That's where I live, but but again, I do respect everybody's opinion about how they see it, and I listen. No one can judge because you've gone through your own life and right. your own problems and and you know you had to deal with it and that was your outcome and your decision based on your life. Not everybody goes through the same thing. And it's it's always easy until you have tough times. That's when the true test is. And people sometimes they have their own ways of looking at it. Some to your point, there's thirty percent that you've encountered that are sticking to it. Again, but 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 I do I I I am very pleased about you candid about it and 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 just listen it is what it is that's how you feel that's how you believe, um, and, and there's nothing else about it. <laughs> so so but 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 it is the reason I asked that question is that because there's always uh, a debate about these things right and so, uh, and without going to the deep part of it and all the stuff like you know again I have. A, a different angle about it doesn't mean anything someone can have you know a, a another type of belief and and, and give an, an input about this at the end of the day it's all about whether you believe in something and or you, you just accept it the way it is or you don't and that's again it's a free what we call free will and people have a choice about it so um but so so but thank you i mean listen you're as honest as can be and 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 by the way it's appreciated because you're sharing your views about this and there's nothing wrong with that um so and that that's the beauty about it we can we can still you know have a dialogue about things regardless of how we believe you know you know our differences in in beliefs and so on and so forth i mean there are people around the world that are experiencing things like you said it this earthquake that happened many people start shaking and i'm not i'm I'm, it's not pun intended. The idea of like the fate becomes, you know, questionable. A lot of people sometimes mm -hmm. they do question things when the tragic happens, and uh, it depends on how you wind up with that decision. Um, there's nothing we can do about that. It's just an, a personalized, you know, right. opinion. So, but but so so totally appreciate you know all your input today, your value, your insights, and definitely your book has the ability to share some true insights of. For and I want people to know that the book is only 120 pages, so you don't have to read for hours and <laughs> hours and hours. It flows through very well. I Most of the people I've heard who've bought it already and have read it have read it in a couple hours. So oh, don't no. worry about a 12-hour read. If someone loves reading, 
it, it will be fast. And, and and I'm sure it's intriguing enough that you'll be like going through those pages and really <laughs> absorbing it all. And and you know what? It's a resource. And that's the that's the thing. You know, I always say this. I get a lot of authors and, and writers. And the one main comment about it that you guys are putting knowledge on paper that will be for life. Yes. And and, and that's the legacy that more, you know, we we've traditionally had. You know, we have knowledge from previous generations and centuries because of people who took the time to write these books and leave them as their legacy behind them. And and there is always something good in every book. I mean, uh, you know, we don't have to take everything. And I always say, even with these shows, you know, you don't have to take anything we say. You can take one item from this show, another from another, and then you build some new ammunition in your life that can help you and guide you somewhere and and, and give you some fun stuff in life. I mean, because yeah. at the end of the day, we have to, as long as you live, you need to live happy, right? As long as you're alive, you need to maintain and manage life with ups and downs. It's never going to end. It's just a, that's the nature of life. There, there's no right. easy moment in life. You know, you get ups and downs, bipolar or not. By the way, this is just for everybody. Life, you know, it's got a lot of test mode, right? And you know, we go through it, and we all have sometimes financial, sometimes personal relationships, sometimes with family members, tragedy. All of the stuff is happening around us on a day-to-day basis. We have a war that's that's lingering right now around you know the world. And a lot of crazy, you said it. Uh, we had the pandemic, so life is tough. But your book and other books are almost tools that can guide us and help us through these moments and through these you know uh, I guess trials of life. So so thank you for the work you do and all the authors out there and 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 writers keep up the great work. We need to hear. Thank we you. need to hear it. We need to see it and then read about it. When Thank will you. this be uh, live? Uh, so this will be live by the weekend. Okay. Uh, so we'll be published, edited, and all stuff. So probably by Sunday, it should and be. And you'll send me a link to you'll reach get, it. You'll get the links to all where you can hear it, listen to it, and share it. <laughs> it is. Remember, this is not my show. It is your show, and it's for the people to actually see it and hear it and watch it. So it will be out there. And it will be, that's the other thing. It's beautiful. It's in online. Once it's out there, it's out there. You can you can't <laughs> retrieve it back. <laughs> it's yeah, gone. So if it's an in internet, it's over. It's for eternity, just like uh, any book. And so this is your virtual book, if you want to call it. It's like your, your little synopsis of the book, you know. And it it's it helps. By the way, this is the new way. A lot of uh, talk shows and podcasts right now have become you know the go to for a lot of folks. Uh, if you're working and stuff and and you get it from reputable resources and people with expertise and experiences, um, not, not the wrong with the standard media. It's just that this is not stuff that you hear about all the time. I mean, it's occasional, but now you can literally dive in. You can go to YouTube and watch these things. You can just Google stuff and, and you get all these shows and and you can go to any podcast directory. And let's say you want talk psychiatry on bipolar, you get a whole bunch of stuff that you can, you know, get resources from. Talking about psychiatrists, you can literally search psychiatry and get shows and stuff like my my show that we do on on uh, with Dr. Heim. It you know he has copies; those are available through his site. They're available through me, and people have access to that information. And these are questions from people, just normal people that say, "Hey, what is this? How can we do this? How can we solve this problem?" And he gives them his insights and and at least the key elements. Now, ultimately, you don't get your cure or your or your uh, you know uh, pro, what do you call it uh, medication system whatever it is through a show. But at least it gives you the guidance of what to do, and then ultimately you got to reach uh, and reach out to the right help and and get it. So if somebody's going through a moment, 
there are resources and we usually the idea is to share those resources for them like for example we had the discussion a couple of weeks ago about suicide and we talked about 988 which is the the, the number to call if you mm-hmm. feel that way you know talk to someone hotlines stuff like that it helps it changes lives so so to answer your question by the weekend this will be live all over the world <laughs> cool i hope i look good <laughs> yeah, you look you're looking gorgeous man <laughs> you're looking great uh so, so are you Thank you, sir. Thank you, Steve. It's been real. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us and for bringing your insights Thank to you, our world. Herbert. Anytime. So, folks, this is the end of the show. So, it's been real. I hope that you've enjoyed the show. Please do check out the book, and I'll have the book copy uh, link and everything on on my social. It will be on the description of the show. So, just check it out. There's definitely some stuff that we can all benefit from. Um, so, we'll talk soon. New day, new show, new topic. Bye for now. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>